Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Appledore Research Podcast. My name is Robert Curran, Consulting Analyst with Appledore. As ever, we're here to share insights on the transformation of telecom in the era of cloud, network automation, and AI. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Now, enjoy the show. Telecom may be a global industry, but discussion often ends up focusing on individual regions. Development in any given region is not determined only by the availability of technology, but by a huge range of geographical, cultural, and economic factors. The current geopolitical climate may be increasing the distance between Eastern and Western viewpoints, but to understand the industry, we must see all of its challenges and opportunities wherever they exist. The development of telecom in the West has been defined by events like the breakup of the US RBOX, the tussle between CDMA and GSM. In Europe, the privatization of former PTTs created a, a very distinct characteristic in that region. But in Asia, different milestones have marked telecom's development and continue to do so. What can we learn from the differences and similarities in the development of telecom in Asia compared to Europe and the Americas? With that in mind, I'm delighted to be talking with the newest member of the Appledore team, who has a wealth of global experience in telecom, Shanti Ravindran. Shanti, welcome to Appledore. Thank you so much, Robert. It's a great time to be here in telecom, and it's uh, lovely to be with all the smart people in Appledore and talking to all the smart people in telecom all over the world. That, that you're very kind, uh, Shanti. <laughs> I, I do want to um, get into some of the differences between East and West in telecom, but I, I can't not highlight the fact that you are the first woman to join the Appledore team. Uh, and the first one we've had on the podcast. Uh, I know you've been something of a champion of getting women and girls into uh, technology. So maybe that would be a good place to start. Can you talk about some of your work in, in, that, uh, in that area? Um, it's been uh, my passion in these last few years. And the reason is um, uh, because um, I see that um, th there is something that can be done to help uh, a lot of people. Uh, when I grew up in India, I... Uh, went to college in a class which was half and half women and men and I didn't see any problem but then when I moved to Singapore very early on in my career um, most of the time I was the only uh, girl in the meeting room and uh, I went through a lot of um, strategies to make myself heard and move forward in my career um, in those days there was not so much focus on women in technology and um, I chose my own strategies. So what we did is, uh, you know, I, I tried to learn. I was in Singapore, so I had just immigrated there. So I knew I had to put myself out there, show my true self. I wanted to just learn. And people were very helpful. They were very kind. They taught me and they took me along. Uh, but what I realized is that um, uh, you needed real mentors and role models, not just role models, mentors. And I just picked uh, mentors uh, right, left and center. And this is what I talk to students and young women in their career when they start out. Um, be authentic, uh, be bold, take risks uh, and put yourself out there. Uh, because even if you fail, you're going to learn a lot from it and uh, pick mentors and and uh, go along with those mentors, learn from them, and uh, in turn mentor people behind you. And, and it works because uh, 
um, girls really, uh, it's an eye opener for them sometimes for to find a senior person in the industry, tell them this, and, and they realize that you know, yeah. that's what is very exciting to see them excited and come forward. Excellent. Uh, it's certainly a, uh, you know, widening the talent pool uh, in the industry yes. is a pretty major uh, objective, and it's good to see some progress on that. And it's great that you've got a perspective that you're sharing with the next the next generations. Uh, very important for us. So yeah, we've got a long way to go still in, in, in telecom on this topic. That's certainly one one positive change I think that we are seeing in the industry as a whole. Um, I did want to get your perspective on some of the other factors that are shaping and have shaped the development of telecom across across Asia. Um, maybe you could talk about some of that from your perspective. Is it reasonable yeah. to talk about telecom in Asia as one thing? Yeah, that, that's what uh, we always think of, but it's not really one thing. Uh, at least there are um, three or four distinct uh, different uh, regions. Um, the, the early developed uh, countries, Japan, Korea, um, China too, um, and then uh, the late developers, uh, but countries with large populations like India and Indonesia. And um, Australia, of course, falls in the first bucket. Uh, and then the smaller countries uh, in ASEAN, uh, but very um, uh, important countries, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, and so on. Uh, so if you look at these countries, um, some of these countries like India skipped a generation. We, we never had um, analog cellular in India. And uh, once the, uh, once the uh, mobile cellular technology came upon the population, the whole change in the people and their mindsets was so palpable and was so effective in, in changing the whole country's um, uh, GDP and so on. GSMA has a lot of studies in this respect. And uh, in Singapore, Singapore was always a, a sort of a flagship uh, uh, for the region uh, because there was a lot of development that went into it, uh, into the country. Um, and uh, we had the first um, uh, networks, first cellular networks, first uh, digital networks, paging networks, etc. Um, so what we saw is that once one country in the region sets up, uh, it can actually uh, spearhead a development over the whole region because people are always traveling in between these countries. So hmm. um, they are roaming in between these countries and the services need to be similar, although there are very focused uh, types of behavior in these countries. For example, in Indonesia, for example, Facebook used to be a lot more popular. So, so there are characteristic difference in these countries. But once one country in the region started um, developing in communication technology, it tends to spread um, a, lo a lot around the region and cause development in the whole region. So this is the, this is the really exciting part of it. Uh, you know, if you are um, if you are in one country and you see that developing. Um, development being transferred across um, in technology, in terms of applications, in in the whole mindset of the people, that's really exciting. I, I mean, in Malaysia, I was there when the first GSM network was switched on, and uh, 
um, uh, I can still remember the excitement in the knock when we took the first call. Um, and uh, with each technology and with each generation, the excitement and the improvement and the utility only increases. And uh, mm. in the end, it's all about um, human beings and what they are looking for and how we can change the uh, lives, yeah. change their lives for the better. Yeah. Uh, how, how about the, um, you know, developments like, obviously, you know, mobile as well as, uh, you know, broadband, fiber infrastructure, uh, you know, these things, have they have they come along in a different sequence in Asia than than they have in uh, in the, the West, uh, would you say? Or you mentioned about India kind of skipping a generation, which is a very interesting factor, I think, in, in the development there. Um, yeah. Is are Asian countries really following their own path? Yes, very much so. Uh, because uh, it, uh, fiber is, is something that is uh, very much dependent upon the geography of the country and the political economies in these countries and so on. Um, so, um, again, there are um, three um, distinct uh, paths. For example, fiber in Korea uh, was, was very early um, and in parts of Australia as well. Um, in, uh, in, in Singapore, the neutral host model came in quite early too. Uh, Indonesia was a particularly difficult country because of the geography, but uh, they did put in major areas quite early too. Um, so again, it is dependent upon the geographies. And uh, what is also interesting is that uh, this fiber uh, development can actually change the architecture of these how, how these networks were, were put in because um, you know in, in Japan for example um, there were um, different types of technologies that was only used in Japan FOMA for example um, that was never used elsewhere and the way these uh, technologies developed um, for example there were these um, hotel rents uh, huge um, uh, huge sites where a lot of the uh, RAN sites were um, were consolidated. And this was much before open RAN, right? So mm -hmm. these huge um, sites, as opposed to small distributed sites, uh, made, uh, uh, made uh, possible by fiber, um, is actually the, uh, the uh, precursor and uh, sort of became the um, pre prerequisite for uh, open RAN. So the way the fiber push development of cellular itself is, is interesting in some of these countries. Mm -hmm. um, you, you clearly have a lot of knowledge uh, across different countries in the region and, and different activities. Maybe we should um, give listeners a, a, an idea of the different, the different job roles that you've had in different oh. companies you've worked at. Where, where does this experience come from? I think that would be helpful okay. to understand. So um, I worked uh, for Motorola Networks for a long time and then with Nokia for a while. Um, and then I kind of did a career switch and became an analyst with Analysis Mason. And then uh, I uh, found that uh, this, um, uh, this, uh, this kind of a, a career switching um, sort of broadened my outlook. 
so when I started, I started um, with uh, deploying base stations, uh, operating them, maintaining a, a NOC, um, then switching centers, applications, OSS, BSS. I practically went across the whole spectrum. Uh, Motorola was very much a, a very RAND focused uh, company at that point. Uh, but we had a lot of partnerships, and that's what um, led me to expand my horizon. So uh, at one point of time, I worked with uh, almost all the switching vendors, all the application vendors, and all the OSS, BSS vendors in that space because mm -hmm. we had partnerships with all of them. And um, that, that has given me quite a good perspective on how um, this whole industry develops. And I would say it is kind of an immersion in the industry uh, so that um, I can almost have an intuitive understanding of the how this mm. industry is developing under the influence of various forces. Mm. Uh, yeah, great, great experience. Uh, to have, I mean, one of the areas that I know we were talking before um, that that you have particular knowledge of is the whole emergency services, first responder uh, type private networks. Is that something that uh, you think is still undergoing some change today when you look at things like 5G uh, and 4G, or is that something that's you know only coming through uh, when you know when the technology has already been heavily proven, you know, by the, by the rest of the industry, would you say that's a leading area or more of a following kind of uh, application? That's a very very interesting question because this is what uh, we have been thinking about for um, you know the past few years. Uh, if you think about it, an emergency services network is actually the biggest government network in any country. Um, it may not be a standalone network, it may be a private network, it may be uh, something with the operator, but it is essentially uh, providing a very critical service. Uh, and if you want to run such a service on uh, a public network, um, it has to have a, a level of redundancy and availability that is uh, not seen in, uh, uh, in networks that are in, in public use. So what, what it actually means is that uh, uh, when, when emergency services are, are looking for these networks, broadband networks in the future, they had narrowband networks before, uh, and voice and command and control and collaboration is, is the most important uh, aspect of their daily lives. Uh, this was enabled totally by voice before. So when they go into broadband networks, um, this is where uh, a lot of the mindset is changing because the way they collaborate could possibly change in the future. Uh, the mental models that uh, services, the, the emergency uh, first responders build up because of the change in the visibility that they get uh, through IoT networks, through connected um, vehicles, etc. When all that visibility comes in, Possibly their mental models could change and uh, the way they use these networks could change. And that's where these networks are quite critical. Um, there are three types of networks that are being put in in the world. There are networks which uh, have complete private spectrum. Um, there are networks that are a combination of private and public networks. And there are networks that sit totally on those public networks. Um, 
network slicing could be a key aspect of this, which is where um, uh, the uh, importance to emergency services networks uh, is there. But um, it is possible that, uh, you know, the, the way the application scenario is evolving can uh, push along these uh, the deployments uh, faster. Uh, but again, the user adapt, uh, adoption has to be looked into, uh, and that's where um, the networks are a bit slow to be deployed because the users have to be very, very comfortable with what uh, they are getting in when they give up what they are used to. That's where these mm -hmm. networks are slow, uh, but um, there's definitely progress in the last few years and next few years will most networks will get deployed. Most broadband networks will get deployed for public safety. So that, I mean, that, you're talking about, you know, a mindset change um, caused by or required by the confluence of essentially, you know, IT connected things, devices, uh, AI, you know, yeah, AI data, many things in there. Is that also happening in the private uh, in the private network area in Asia, I'm conscious that, uh, for example, um, you know, particularly in, in Japan, that seems to be uh, you know, very industrialized. A lot of the focus on, on private networks, certainly in, in talking with people at Mobile Congress, for example, uh, you know, was looking at that as a, a big growth area within within Japan. Is that do you think that's being played out uh, across the, the region? Uh, with interest in private networks and this, this change in mindset to say, hey, there's things that we can do in a completely different way or completely different things that we could do that we've never done before. Yes, uh, again, Japan has uh, shown examples to the region. Korea uh, put up its first uh, public safety nationwide network on, on an independent spectrum. Uh, but what is interesting is, uh, you know, I just saw an announcement today uh, that Indonesia the operator, uh, Indosat, uh, Oredo, Hutchison, the combined operator, um, they are actually putting, uh, planning to put in a nationwide private network, parallel private network. So it looks like people have seen the importance of private networks to mission critical, business critical users um, like uh, public safety, utilities, etc. Uh, and uh, definite uh, action is being taken to serve these industries. Uh, hopefully that will also make the public networks uh, even more reliable as well, because there will be a combined use of public and private networks um, for quite some time, I believe. That makes sense. New opportunity for all kinds of in innovation, I guess, based on those, you know, we've had we've talked about smart cities for a for a few years and certainly bringing together these uh, these capabilities will will make a difference shanti we um clearly we've got a lot of uh knowledge and expertise uh experience to to draw on uh, with, with you at, at apple door what areas of of research are we going to be seeing that first <laughs> yeah the first so uh, I will look into AI ops and private networks. Uh, what is interesting to me is uh, um, recently Patrick um, has written a report uh, where he said uh, he noticed that uh, the OPEX change uh, has been very limited. Um, 
so this this uh, AI and uh, uh, its effect on op exchange through the different applications uh, across the ecosystem across the value chain um, that's something I am going to be looking into and private networks as well um, how they are going to uh, change the uh, user scenarios uh, which industries are going to be uh, most benefiting from them first what are the type of private networks um, that are uh, going to be deployed that's uh, that's in a very interesting area as well and across all this how is AI going to impact uh, how we uh, use these networks um, that's uh, most critical as well that's what I'm going to do that, that's great. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of good research to share on that in due course. It's, it's fantastic to have, say, your, your experience perspective to, uh, to, to run out that research. Excellent. Um, Shanti, I know we'll be talking some more in the future. Uh, I hope we'll get more women on the podcast. There's quite a few names I have in mind. I won't, uh, I won't mention them t- t- until we've got them, got them in the bag, as it were. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's been great talking with you, and we'll be talking again very soon. Thank you so much, Robert. Lovely to be here and lovely to work with you and all the smart people at Apple. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Apple Door Research Podcast. Join us next time for more insights and conversation on the transformation of technology.